How to Overcome Perfectionism and Burnout Interview with Dr. Andrea Moore Have you ever been told that you are a perfectionist? And has this tendency caused you to feel more burnout, more physical pain, and other difficulties? Well, our guest, Dr. Andrea Moore, is going to share some tips on how to improve perfectionism, in turn decreasing your burnout and chronic pain, the field she specializes in. Would you like to learn those simple tips that you can easily apply in your life right away? Then stay tuned. You're watching Happy and Healthy Mind with Dr. Rosina. And our guest today is Dr. Andrea Moore. Thank you, Andrea, for joining today. Yes, it's such a pleasure to be here. Thank you for having me. You're welcome. Dr. Andrea Moore is a mom, wife, and a recovering health perfectionist. Her career path has been based on trying to fix everything wrong with her, from chronic pain and post-concussive syndrome to anxiety and ADHD, probably that led to her burnout. But along her 15-plus year journey, she became a doctor of physical therapy, an orthopedic certified specialist, a functional nutritional therapist, life coach, and patriarchy and perfectionism smasher. <laughs> Through years of education, self-healing, and work with hundreds of women, she learned that it is always about coming back to yourself in order to live the life of your dreams. So she now helps others do this so they can live life on their terms. Yes. And I'm your host, Dr. Rosina Lakhani. I help high achievers stop burnout without quitting. I'm a corporate speaker, executive coach, and an integrative psychiatrist. I believe that your mind is the software that runs the hardware of your brain and your body. Therefore, I share practical tips for your mental fitness. If you need any specific medical advice, please consult your healthcare professional. If you find this content helpful, then join our mission by liking, subscribing, and sharing so more people can build mental resilience, avoid stress and burnout, and other mental and physical challenges. If you're joining us live, please share in the chat what you're, where you're watching from, and you can ask your questions in the comments. Let's learn from our guest now. How did um, so? And Dr. Andrea, how did you become interested in this topic? What were the challenges you were facing before you started applying some of the tools you're going to teach us today? Oh my goodness, where to start? Um, I would say, as a whole, it just felt like a complete inability to function as a normal adult. <laughs> um, I struggled for, I mean, for as long as I can remember, especially you know, in high school, college, and then well into starting my career with feeling like I could never like live up to all the expectations around me. And it just felt like I was constantly failing, constantly not doing enough. And I put myself on this mission to figure this out. Like I believed I was capable of more. And so, and I wanted to do more. I had big things I wanted to do in this world. And through a long convoluted journey, I ended up becoming a physical therapist and the universe just continuously sent me clients that were like myself, which I didn't realize at the time that were struggling with chronic pain and chronic perfectionism. And I also was struggling with obviously chronic pain and chronic perfectionism. And I started to realize that 
while I had learned so much in physical therapy school that was so valuable, it was not helping myself or these women that were being sent to me and that we did not receive the guidance of what to do and how to help um, with chronic symptoms in physical therapy school, at least not in a way that felt good enough for me. <laughs> um, because, Mostly the focus is on acute pain and like yeah. fixing what is in front of you. And it very much becomes this like, oh, well, then there's nothing you can do. Learn to live with a type of mentality, which I was being told for myself for like my ADHD that I was struggling with. And then along the way, I ended up in a car accident that left me with some pretty severe post-concussive syndromes. I was out of work for um, almost six months and it just amplified everything that I was already struggling with, with feeling, you know, completely inferior. A lot of my struggles were around my brain function, memory, around my intelligence, things like that, um, which is ironic because I was getting my doctorate at the time, right? <laughs> but yeah, yeah. I felt completely inferior. And then the, the uh, car accident just amplified that times about a thousand. Mm -hmm. So yeah, life just felt like every day was a chronic struggle and it just felt like I was constantly doing it wrong. And that felt miserable. And I just yeah. felt like there had to be a different way. Yeah. So you reached that peak of burnout. And I've seen yes. this a lot in even like, you know, people who are really high achieving, you were doing doctorate and you still felt inferior. And oh, I yeah. struggled with that. And I see that all the time. Yeah. So then what happened? So it was through... Like after the car accident, I was in in the process of getting my board certification, which, as you probably know, requires a massive amount of studying. And like most high achieving women, I just continued to blow through it and was like, I'm not waiting another year to take this test. Took it highly concussed, still passed, still got like I got the the best grade out of all my peers that I was studying with, and still felt like I was a failure, of course. And ended up also pursuing a nutritional therapy certification and planning my wedding all at the same time, because of course, you know, just going through what I had been through wasn't enough to really hit the full burnout. <laughs> <laughs> so let's really nail it in there. <laughs> and then I really burned out. Yeah. And so much so that it felt like my only way out of this job that I was in, which felt so consuming and so drowning. And, and it felt like at the time I was blaming it for my burnouts. Um, it felt like my only way out was to literally move across the country, which is what I then did with my husband. We moved from the DC area to Washington and it felt like that was my start over. And it was in so many ways, but also, as you know, things follow you. You can't just run away from what's really going on inside. Yeah. You can run from outside, <laughs> yes. from the place, but you can't run from yourself. No, you, you can't. I tried, literally tried moving across the country to run away from myself. Spoiler, it didn't work. <laughs> <laughs> so how did the life change? Like, you know, it seems mm -hmm. like you were there and then you did some changes that yes. we're going to learn in a few minutes. <laughs> so how did the life change? How is life different now? I, oh my gosh, <laughs> from then to now, it is a complete transformation. And I think it's sometimes so challenging to articulate some of the differences that feel the most significant because yes, like I can, and I'll, I'll talk about them of some external differences that are significant, but internally that, those are the changes that really mattered. And I think the number one change that is, I think sometimes hard to put into words is the ability to look at my life without 
making it mean something about me or making myself be wrong for what's going on. And to really reflect on my, how my own self is responsible for what I'm seeing around me. And to do that without judgment and shame, because that was impossible before. I couldn't reflect on anything because any type of reflecting just led to so many thoughts of shame and self-deprecation and beating myself up that it was just unbearable. Like I was unable to take responsibility for my life because it felt like there, there was too much shame around it. So I think the, the number one thing that I got was the ability to take personal responsibility for my life and for my healing journey. Wonderful. Wonderful. Yeah. And how did it translate into your ability to yeah. like earn and serve mm. and, and make the impact that you were meant to make? Yes. That you're making? Yeah, so much. So really before I was working, I mean, as most physical therapists and most people in the medical profession aren't doing, they're in the clinic working back to back to back, you know, go, go, go under the constraints of insurance and often seeing where it's not even fully serving people, which was the hardest thing, which just contributed to more burnout. And so that, that continued on in Washington. I was continuing to work in the clinic and feeling like this is not... This is not what I meant to do. This does not feel right. This is not helping. And so I was able through taking like responsibility through being able to look at my life and step up and, and look at what I was meant to do in this world, completely shift into being full time in my own business, which also means working way less hours with way less back to back. So way more time for self-care and more importantly, time for my son. I have a five-year-old. Um, so I was able to spend that time with him when he was a baby and a toddler that I wanted to while still working because it was also actually something I wanted. I never wanted to be completely full-time at home. That, was, that wasn't for me, but I loved being able to have the mix of like lots of time, but also kind of on my own terms. And, and most importantly, fully being able to give all of myself to my clients while I'm with them and in my sessions. So it means I can show up a hundred percent and be there fully for my clients and help them at my maximal capacity, which feels amazing. And then provide myself with all the self-care I need to continuously be able to show up and do that and therefore help them get through whatever they're struggling with on a so much higher level capacity than I can now. And earning wise, I can make far more money than I was in the clinic while working far less hours. So it's a win-win and reaching and helping more people ultimately, especially through these wonderful online worlds that we have now. Wonderful, wonderful. That sounds like a dream for probably a lot of people <laughs> listening. So we are anxious to hear what kind of things helped you and if there are some fast tips that you can share today that can help our audience right away, that would be wonderful. And then you know, number so one thing is being able to come into acceptance of where you are right now and just fully accepting it and seeing it for what it is. And I'm sure people have heard this over and over. So I just always like to add the caveat that getting to acceptance, just depending on who you are and what your story is, can be a journey in itself. And so sometimes really what it is, is being in acceptance that you are not in acceptance of your life and what it is right now. It's like, what what can you step into acceptance of? And that might mean stepping back into some layers. 
might yeah. be accepting that I'm in full resistance of my life right now. Yeah, yeah. And I can see like, you know, for a perfectionist, it is very hard. And like, you know, people are not 100% perfectionists. Like, you know, everybody has a little bit tendency of perfectionism and kind of uh, different degrees. And most of the time when people are successful and they're high achieving people, they have some tendency for perfectionism. That's what they have that has allowed them to be successful in life. So it is very hard when, when the word acceptance comes, that feels like accept your failure or accept that you were not able to do this or something like that. And so it feels like very negative. Mm -hmm. So can you please clarify when you say acceptance, how do you differentiate it from feeling like a failure? Oh my gosh, I love this question because this is the number one thing that gets in the way. And sometimes I do like to offer that the word allowance can sometimes, I think semantics is important. So it's it's choosing what works for you. And sometimes the word allowance can feel a lot softer and more accessible. And so it's fully allowing the reality of this current moment. And the the, the very definition of perfectionism is the refusal to accept anything that is short of perfect. And so perfectionism is the refusal to accept. So that's why it's so hard. So one, just having a lot of grace and compassion and even sometimes humor for yourself that of course acceptance is hard. <laughs> and then it is doing the work of really unweaving that accepting where you are means accepting or me means that that's where you're gonna be for the rest of your life. Cause the irony is, is the longer we take to accept where we are, the longer it's going to take to get out of where we are if we yeah. want to change. The example I'll often give is if you're lost somewhere and you're just like, you know, in the middle of who knows where, okay, you don't have food, you don't have water, like it's a terrible situation. Of course, you're going to be like, I don't want to be here. And you can kick and scream that you don't want to be there all day long, like literally like make space for those emotions because they truly get to be here. And then at some point we have to be like, and I'm here and this sucks, but it's the acknowledgement that you're there is what's going to allow you to look around and be like, okay. And so what seems like the next first, next best step to take, but this until so you do that, you stay spiraling yeah, and you'll stay yeah. stuck in that spot. Yeah. Because yeah. we so don't want to be there. <laughs> right, right. I'm so glad that you brought this example because it actually literally happened with me. So I was going to a conference and I was driving and then I got lost. And so I got off a, you know, an exit and I called my husband. <laughs> Who need you? Yeah. So I called my husband and I said, oh my God, I'm so upset. I'm, I'm lost and now I'm going to be late and people were going to be so upset. And like I'm ranting and ranting. He says, Rosina? calm down and uh, and then i kept on renting and renting because you know i was so frustrated and so angry for getting mm -hmm. lost and not so angry that you know now you know all the all the all the problems i'm kind of foreseeing future casting mm -hmm. catastrophizing like you know all the bad things that are going yeah. to happen because I am lost here and there is like you know people waiting for me on the <laughs> yeah um so so he said calm down okay and then once once I calmed down and he said, can you see what you see? And so I gave him the signage mm -hmm. and he said, okay, it seems like you've kind of gone um, 
north instead of going mm -hmm. south on I-5. <laughs> so, <laughs> so get back on the expressway and start driving south. And so um, until I calmed down and accepted where I, I was, allowing and observing where I was, and then deciding where I wanted to go, I was not able to get out of that state. Yes. So oh. similarly in life, yes. like you said, until you get those initial emotions out mm -hmm. and then calm down and allow and observe where you are and see which way you want to go and start taking the steps, you would stay stuck. Exactly. Yes. I love that. And the whole like irony of your situation, right, is the longer it takes to see that, which let's not make that wrong if it takes a while, because sometimes it does. It's totally fine, right? The longer you're keeping people waiting, right? Right. And again, let's not make that wrong. And let's acknowledge that as humans, we're going to have those emotions first. And I love that. It's like, you know, you got to vent, you got to have those. And then it's the comments, that two-step process. And so, yes, yes, yes. I think sometimes it takes people kind of kicking and screaming and resisting it for a really long time. <laughs> like yeah. right now, I'm currently working with a client to just accept that right now she is a human that has pain in her body. We're not there yet. It's probably going to take a few more sessions. I don't know. It's going to take her as long as it takes. It's totally fine. And, and we're, you know, working through all the emotions and layers that are coming up in the process. But ultimately, until she's able to be able to just claim that reality for herself, she will stay in pain. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. I treat a lot of uh, people with chronic pain. And that is one of the mm -hmm. things that you don't acceptance doesn't mean that you have to be jumping with joy. Ha ha ha. No, I'm in <laughs> Acceptance and then and sometimes like you know people say, Yes, I have accepted. I am in pain. What do you do next? <laughs> yes. <laughs> and so the, the like you said, the phrase it like you know really mm -hmm. hard, but the concept is coming into the present moment and be in the moment non-judgmentally and intentionally yeah. and allowing it to be the way it is and then also acknowledging yeah that you don't like and where you want to go and that allows the passage to happen that's wonderful tip thank you so much for sharing mm -hmm. that so what's the next step that you'd like to share today the next one is once that like acceptance or allowance has happened. And, and one thing I want to add to that is that does not need to be a state because perfectionists then go, oh, that needs to happen all the time. No, you are going to come out of allowance and acceptance all the time. It's just choosing to come back to it in any given moment. So just free yourself. You might only be able to be in acceptance for two seconds. That's a perfect place to start. So and the perfectionist would really like that perfect place. I know, right? <laughs> exactly. That is a perfect place and you've nailed it. Okay. You're doing great. <laughs> the the second one is what it's and everything becomes a lot easier once you're in this place. So don't skip this step. This is like I cannot emphasize this enough. I'm not skipping the step of of going on the journey to figuring out how to keep bringing yourself to um, acceptance or allowance. And then the second one, the second thing, once you're there, you can then use 
a myriad of tools, which my favorite then to really shift things is to start going inwards, to start looking like uh, communicating with your body and building that trust back up. Because often that trust, especially for women, has been literally either never cultivated in the first place or trained out of us. And so it's just restarting that communication with your body and asking, you know, what your body needs and learning how to check in with it. And we can do that in multiple different ways. So one, sometimes it's literally just a casual conversation of like, oh, hey, body, I see you now. I hear you. Like, what do you need right now? And just asking and see what it says without judgment. And then the other tool I really use to go into the body is somatic tracking. And so that is... What is somatic tracking? Somatic tracking is noticing in your body where thoughts, sensations, even pain is, and then getting really clear on what it feels like. So for example, and I actually, with for somebody who has chronic pain, you can somatic track pain. Sometimes it can feel really overwhelming. So if... if I'll describe the process in a second. I'm just going to give this pre thing. You can totally um, somatic track pain. And sometimes it can be really easy to do. But if it feels too overwhelming, then then pick something else first. But let's, let's say you're feeling an emotion in your body. So in that moment, Dr. Rosina of being lost, for instance, right? It's like, can you tap back into what it felt like to be lost? what that like overwhelming or if that's the word that you would use felt like and then tracking it in your body would be like where does that live so it's like does it live in your chest did you feel it in your throat did your chest you know throat get tight did your chest feel heavy did your stomach clench whatever it was for you and then getting as many adjectives to describe that as possible So let's say you're feeling an emotion of overwhelm. It's like, where does that live in the body? Okay, that lives in my chest. It makes me feel this deep pressure. It's kind of got this bluish tinge. Uh, It's, you know, is there a texture to it? It feels fuzzy. I'm just making something up right now, right? Like it feels fuzzy. The boundaries actually feel like it goes outside of my body. It's bigger than me. It's like, oh, how big does it want to get? Oh, it wants to like take over the whole country. Okay, cool. (laughs) You know what I mean? Just getting as descriptive as possible. Because when we can get descriptive, we are starting to make these sensations more concrete for our brain. Our brain doesn't do well with the abstract. So an emotion like fear or overwhelm feels so big and scary because it's so abstract. But when we start being like, oh, this fear is this like box in my abdomen that's black and dark and heavy. All of a sudden the brain's like, oh, okay, there's like a black bot. Okay, I can I can look at that a little closer. And so somatic tracking allows us to go from this abstract, overwhelming, scary thing to more like, okay, that feels manageable. I can look at that a little easier. That doesn't feel so scary to look at anymore. So it's a really amazing tool. So somatic tracking is something that I use within a lot of the work I do. Yeah, that sounds like a very interesting concept. Mm -hmm. And so do you have people keep like tracking sheet 
of like, you know, scoring how bad it is, or it's more descriptive and just happens in the session, or they become their own scientist who's kind of monitoring and observing and. Yeah, I'm very much for, so for me personally, I was never ever good at tracking stuff on a sheet like uh -huh. that would be the number one way to make me not do something. <laughs> <laughs> I have some clients who do, who are very like, I, I love data, but just not in that type of way. Uh -huh. So, so my bias, cause I've, you're always, there's, you could look up somatic tracking, you know, and everyone has their own like spin on it. I do not have people track it down on a sheet at all because for the most part, it is about what comes up in the moment. And it is kind of irrelevant. Like it doesn't really, uh, oh wait, well, sometimes I'll touch on that in a second. It's more about what comes up in the moment and not, you're trying not to compare to past things, right? Because then that takes you out of the present. I will say over time, usually organically, there will for some things be patterns that then present themselves over and over that you start to get familiar with. So I'll give an example of one of my patterns. And, and I think it's really common with high achieving women is this pattern of, I need to learn more information. I need to learn more. So that's because if I learn more, then I can solve my health problem. Then I can solve my stress. I need to read more. I need to listen to another podcast, et cetera, et cetera. For me, in somatic tracking, I learned what that pattern felt like in my body, which it's gonna feel different for everyone. For me, it's this very like panty feeling. <laughs> and so now when that happens, because it does continue to happen, this is not about making it go away. I'm like, oh, hello, panty friend. I see you. Okay. And I can identify it. I can get make it concrete really quickly. And like almost now, because I have worked with it so much, shift it on like a dime. I'm like, oh, it's there. All right, I'm going to choose something else. But that took time to get to. Yeah, because if you don't know what it is, then you can't shift it. Exactly, exactly. So, and so naming kind of takes away the fear of that feeling. And mm -hmm. once you are able to observe it without that severe fear and reaction, yes. then you get the power to control it. And we use the similar kind of concept when we are talking about anxiety. And I kind of describe the concept of, you know, how a kid is afraid of monsters and uh -huh. kind of, and so the little kid is like, you know, running away whenever like, you know, she says the monster, it keeps running away and stays afraid. There comes a time when the kid grows up enough that says, I'm going to face my monster, turns around and looks at the monster. What happens initially? Initially, monster becomes bigger, tries to scare yes. you more. And if you stand your ground, then what happens to the monster? It melts away. Absolutely. Love so it. same in situation with all these emotions that have like, you know, control on you, mm -hmm. the more you run away from it, the worse it gets. Yeah. And once you start facing it, initially it gets even worse. Yes. trying to make you give up. <laughs> but once you don't give up and you face it, then it starts melting away. Mm -hmm. Yes, yes. And that's what I love about somatic tracking is it makes it from this big scary thing to like, oh, it's just a sensation in my body. Even if sometimes it feels a little creepy, but it just, it becomes so much easier to like look at. 
Yeah. Well, when we are having fun, time passes and I just I realized we need to wrap up. So why don't we, can you share your best advice for the audience at this yeah. time? Yeah, really is, oh gosh, one, one big thing is, is really, if you feel like there is something that is stopping you from like achieving what it is you want in life, that you feel like there is more to do more passion that you have and more ways you have to serve the world is don't ever lose that vision. And where can you step back and notice what patterns are happening that are actually preventing you from getting there? And how can you look at that from a place of non-judgment? So yeah, I feel like that's not one big thing I could go off. But yeah, really just I I feel like I, I want to encourage everyone to keep following that vision and holding it as the vision, but then continuously stepping back to meet yourself where you are in this moment, because that will be the fastest way to get you to your vision versus fighting where you are right now. Wonderful. I love it because accepting being in the moment and observing where you are is the fastest way to where you want to be. And so all our listeners who are high achievers, who are feeling chronic pain, who are uh, feeling at brink of burnout, um, this is the way out. On that note, let's kind of share with the audience if they want to learn more, how can they reach you? Yes, you can find me at drandreamore.com. That is D-R-A-N-D-R-E-A-M-O-O. Re.com, same uh, handle on Instagram. And then you can also hear me speak more about how perfectionism creates chronic pain, if that was a new concept to you, because we did not get into that in the first place, and how these tools can help um, on my podcast, the Unweaving Chronic Pain Podcast, and that's available on any platform. Wonderful. Thank you so much. And if you like this content, please share, follow, subscribe. Dr. Moore has been very gracious. She's also going to share a gift of five tips to overcome perfectionism and chronic pain. And that would be that you would be able to find on our website, happyandhealthymind.com. And if you go over there, there's a big button called resources. You click it and you'll be able to access all the gifts that all the guests have shared on our program. And if you are in US and you would like us to send the links to reminders and resources, then you can text the word joyful, J-O-Y-F-U-L, to the number 38470, and we'd be happy to send you those links. And so let me end this program by asking you, Today is the first day of the rest of your life. Every day is a new opportunity to make new decisions. So what is one decision you are going to make? One thing that you choose that would help you overcome your perfectionism despite having chronic pain, despite feeling at verge of burnout, what is one small step you are going to take today that would let you to be able to be your best and overcome these difficulties. On that note, stay safe, happy and healthy. Until next time. Thank you, Dr. Rosina. And thank you, Dr. Moore.